Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. What's going on? John Middlecoff. Three and Out Podcast, back at it again. I'd say a big week. I wouldn't say a big week. I'd say a solid week. Got a couple topics, things that I'm fired up on, things I'm hot on. Uh, and then the Middlecoff mailbag, you know we always get into that. We'll talk about the new PI rule. I disagree with Colin Coward a little bit. I, I know he thinks it's a big overreaction. I, I think it's a, a sound and solid decision. And I think I think just simply it had to happen. I think that the NFL made the right decision. We'll get into that in a minute. It feels like rumors are kind of growing. I know Colin said on a show, I'm recording this on Thursday, he said Thursday morning, that he thinks Josh Rosen in the next couple days is going to be gone. I know Klatt said the other day that it's you know the Patriots, the Chargers, and the Giants going to trade for him for Josh Rosen. And then that would, if Josh Rosen's traded, clearly that means we know who the number one pick's going to be, Kyler Murray. I think it's pretty fascinating. Just saw a pretty sweet video. Mike Vrabel, who goes to these pro days and basically becomes a player again, was doing like uh, line drills with Ed Oliver. He's just, Mike Vrabel's a badass. He's like the one guy, in the, the one coach in the league that looks like he could still play. The one head coach, at least. There are some former players that are coaching that look pretty good too. Uh, but but I got to start with this. And also we'll end with the Middlecoff mailbag. You can always get a question in on the show it's the easiest way to get a hold of me is either on Twitter or Instagram. DMs wide open and Instagram at John Middlecoff. Those are all my handles. J O H N Middlecoff. You just look it up on the podcast. You see how I spell it. And slide up in those DMs. Ask me anything, and I will answer it right here. We do it every single week. The Middlecoff mailbag. It's actually favorite part of the podcast. You get to interact with you guys listening, and you guys send me emails and stuff. Emails on my Twitter handle, jmiddle75. You ever have something a little longer you want to send? I, I'm easy to get a hold of. 
But today I got in the background the Giants against the Padres opening day in baseball. I don't even think most people knew that opening day in baseball was today, March 28th, which actually feels a little early. I always thought it was like early April, but March 28th, baseball is back and no one really knew. And football, the league office has taken a lot of shit over the years for disciplinary decisions. Which I thought at certain points in time, and I'm not a huge Roger Goodell guy, but I'm not anti-Roger Goodell. He clearly has some positives. You know, his his job is to work for the owners and make them money. And you can't really argue that he has not done his number one job because he's made them all a ton of cash. If I was in the NFL and I was in some sort of ownership stake, whether it be the majority owner or silent minority owner, I would be happy with Roger Goodell because he has made me a lot of coin and that is his number one role. Now, we can argue all we want about his role as a disciplinarian. You know, you should get out of that business. But, like, when he took over, the league had somewhat of a perception problem with violence and a lot of guys getting arrested. And so he overcorrected a little bit. And I think sometimes we lose touch. Like, it wasn't him that hit Ray Rice's wife in the face. That was Ray Rice. You know, he wasn't the guy that slammed the girl on the bed with a bunch of guns. That was Greg Hardy. Now, now he screws up a lot of the punishments, at least to the public, but I think sometimes we forget it's not him. But the one thing he benefits from, and I say this all the time about the NFL, the hardest thing to do in 2019 is to get our attentions. I'm an older version of a millennial, and I am just, it's hard to keep my attention. Even when I, I watched The Green Book, I ordered the movie last night, uh, which is a pretty good movie, but half the movie, I'm screwing around on my phone. I'm checking Twitter, looking at Instagram, playing, uh, listening to some songs on YouTube. Like, I, I just got this phone in my hand. And again, I'm not saying it's a healthy way to live, but it's just the way we all live. And it's not just a young or an old thing. Anywhere you go, you get on, I got public transit around the Bay Area. You get on public transit, it's not just like old people have newspaper in their hand. No, they all have phones now. And it's hard to keep your attention. And football's lucky, you only play once a week. And the sport has always been very conducive to gambling. It's easy to keep our attention. But they've also really benefited. And I've been saying this for years. I was born in the mid-80s. So I never got to really experience live. Now, I've seen all the documentaries. And uh, both these two players are two of my favorites. Just from watching them like YouTube and, you know, NBA classics. But Magic and Bird, I I didn't experience it. And most people will tell you they did experience it. They helped take the NBA to to whole entire new levels financially. And just elevated the sport. Well, I growing up to me, baseball and football were kind of on par. Like I, I thought, I actually think when I in the in the mid to late nineties, Jordan was probably the biggest sports star in America. But I think you know, like Ken Griffey Jr. was every bit as big as any football player, whether it be Brett Favre, Steve Young, Jerry Rice. Like Ken Griffey Jr. was a rock star. That doesn't exist right now in, in baseball. But the one thing football had in the early 2000s that then propelled itself for the next 15 plus years was the magic and bird rivalry of the NFL. And it was Peyton and Brady. Two biggest stars of their generation. And they were great. I mean, you got the best quarterback ever and probably a top five quarterback ever that played each other at minimum once a year and usually twice a year because they met in the playoffs. And then even when he went to Denver, they stayed in the same conference. They played once a year because Peyton was always winning the division. Then they played multiple times in the playoffs. So... When you look at the sport of football, like they have a lot of things going for them that baseball doesn't. It's the sport every day. There's this narrative that gambling, legalized gambling is going to help out baseball. 
Listen, I, I'm 34 years old. I, I've been gambling pretty consistently since 16, 17, but I only started betting on sports probably till 2021 uh, when I was in college. Baseball sucks to gamble on. Football is by far the best sport to gamble on. I can gamble a little bit on golf right now. That's actually not a bad sport to gamble on either. Basketball, the regular season sucks. The playoffs can be fun. Obviously, March Madness is fun. Baseball's not fun to gamble on, besides maybe the playoffs. The regular season sucks. And the majority of baseball is the regular season. Their business model is a six-month regular season. That's when they make all their money. But one thing they don't have going for them, that the NFL really has going for them, is the players are active on social media and market themselves. Like, for as much credit as the NFL gets, you can see them everywhere. They're always on television. Well, part one of the reasons all these shows and people like me talk about them is because people consume it. You guys listen. If you didn't, I would talk about something else. I would be forced to because I wouldn't be able to be in business. But the one thing, their players, like more than ever now, players can go direct to consumers. Like Tom Brady doesn't need a marketing campaign. You know what he does? He does his own marketing campaign after every game on Instagram, which I personally look forward to. Tom Brady's become one of my favorite followers on Instagram. He does the less fucking go thing after a big win. He does like a you know 30-second mashup. It's awesome. Peyton Manning. Went on Saturday Night Live, you know, 10 years ago. And it was like the best Saturday Night Live of the last 20 years. He's an elite marketer. And all the young quarterbacks now, and Odell Beckham of the world, are very active on social media. They do a great job. Now, it's self, for some selfish reasons, but it also benefits the sport of football, just being marketers. They're, they're like independent marketers of their own little brand. The NBA guys are really good at it. I mean, I, I've, Steph Curry has tweeted before every game for the last like seven years. Every game. Like baseball, and and I'm down on baseball in the sense that I just don't think young people are really locked in. I love the sport and I don't even care really about opening day. But their players do a piss poor job of making the sport feel big. Now, I get it. You play every day. It wears you out. It's harder to be active on social media. In football, you actually have a lot of downtime, right? You only play once a week. You got six days. It's the one sport where you practice way more than you play. In baseball, you never practice. You just play. Basketball, kind of somewhere in the middle. You still play more than you practice. But in football, it's unique. They got a lot of downtime. So I'm not saying it's all apples to apples. But the the one thing football really has going for it, and it's only getting stronger as all these young guys come in the league, God, it feels like their players are accessible. God, it feels like their players just really care. And it just kind of feels like they're having fun with it all. They interact with people. They interact with each other on social media. And you can't put a price on that type marketing. And for all the fans that are already playing fantasy football, that are gambling on the game, we're all following these guys. I mean, I've been following Russell Wilson on Twitter for 10 plus years. He's great. Now, he's kind of cheesy at times, but he's active. All the young quarterbacks from Derek Carr to now Josh Allen, Sam, these, these guys, I just feel their presence on social media. And you can't say the same for baseball. And for while the sports feel like they're in two different trajectories, that's one element that you don't hear talked about anywhere else. But in this day and age, to grab attention, like you don't just need to buy ads and you know to have your games on. Like you do need some help from your employees, and the employees in football or any sport are your athletes. And the more active they are, the more that helps your product. And football's in a great place because these guys just kind of get it. And I can't really say the same thing about baseball players. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? 
Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, let's uh, let's dive into the rule change, which I guess I didn't quite grasp it, uh, but listen to Peter King and reading Albert Breer had a really good article on it. Peter was talking about, I listened to Peter King's podcast a couple days ago before the rule passed, and I think he was just resigned to the fact that no chance the rule was going to get passed. Now, my favorite rule, the 4th and 15 rule, which I think I might have talked about on Monday, maybe it was last week, didn't have a chance, not a snowball chance in hell. But, I, you know, the PI rule, I heard Colin this morning, and he thought it was one big overreaction. And I, I, I got to be honest, I don't think I could disagree more. As someone that gambles on these games and gets so angry consistently with the officials when it comes to PI, because they call it in the worst spots. It's like getting mad at a basketball game with shitty foul calls. It just drives you nuts. And one thing I've always hated, and this didn't get changed, was that defensive holding is an automatic first down. Now, I've gotten used to defensive holding because I watched the Niners and the Raiders a lot these last four or five years, and their defensive backs have been terrible. So defensive holding happens a lot. But I also think it's often a bailout. But to me, pass interference, and I think that should have just been moved to five yards. So if it's third and nine, 
and your DB holds a guy, it shouldn't be an automatic first down. Now, if it's third and nine and he holds a guy, then you got third and four. I'm all for that. I, I, I despise the automatic first down. But when it comes to PI, listen, anytime a call, I'd say anything in life that's subjective, it's not going to be black and white. It's going to be difficult, right? There's going to be gray area. Anytime you're dealing with athletic endeavors like a wide receiver and a corner, two humans that typically run are the fastest players on the field, it's difficult. Tracking a ball in the air, guys kind of making contact, but is it over the top? It's hard. But I've always believed, and Belichick's been the biggest proponent of this, you should be able to challenge everything. Now, like Peter King, and Albert wrote this too, it's not they're not adding more challenges. So the challenges stay the same. You have two challenges when the game starts. You have two. That's, that's it. You don't get now unlimited challenges. So if you want to challenge a PI in the first quarter, that's on you. If you want to save your challenges for late in the game, now to me there's somewhat of a strategy for the challenges. But for the integrity of the game, for the amount that's on the line for the game, and I'm not even talking about the Sean Payton New Orleans Saints play. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking because I don't think they had any more challenges. Like that that play would have stood because they couldn't. I don't think they could have challenged the play. Could be wrong on that one, but I don't even know why I think that. I heard someone say that. But I never have an issue with something that's blatant, like there was no PI, to be able to challenge it because we see it consistently happen. We saw it happen a ton last fall where referees were dictating the game and in spots that are just blatantly obvious. Now, there are always going to be calls, like in the AFC Championship game, that call against Julian Edelman, did it touch his finger or not touch his finger, I thought they got it right, but if you would have overturned it, I wouldn't disagree. There's always going to be calls that could probably go other ways, or, you know, either way. But there are also going to be pretty obvious calls. Like D. Ford in that game also. He was offsides. So if technically, let's say, and I think this is where we're heading, you're going to be able to challenge everything. Coach Reed could, you know, I think where we're headed, throw a challenge on that play. He was offsides. Now, I don't think he would have challenged it. But you should be able to challenge every call. Isn't that the ultimate? I, I love hearing this and seeing this. It's about the speed of the game. The integrity, you know, keep the game moving. We don't want four-hour games. No, what we want is the, for the game to have be right. We want the right team to win or the right team to lose. Especially for us that have money on the game. Especially for fans that dedicate a lot of their time and energy for watching the team. Again, I, I think we all... Now, again, I, I'm no longer and it sucks... The longer you're in the media, and I, I got like this when I started working in the NFL. You know, I grew up a Niner fan, but then when I worked for the Eagles, I just stopped caring. And now, once I left the Eagles and just came back to the media, I, I don't. I root for players and coaches I know. I, I don't even have a team anymore. Like honestly, I, I hope the Niners and Raiders win because it's good for my business. This I talk about everything, so it really doesn't matter. I'm just rooting for good stories. I like crazy trades. I like guys getting suspended. I like craziness because that's what you guys like to listen to. And I like good games. But I also like as someone that gambles on the sport now, I hate losing a game where it feels like the right thing was not called. And again, there are going to be situations consistently this year where a ref screws up and the coach is not going to have a challenge flag. So I saw someone say that it's still going to be a big issue because commentators are going to talk a lot about it. But I, you know what I'd argue? That's on the coach. And we already get on coaches. When you waste challenges on plays, and this happens a lot, 
that are clearly not going to go in your favor. So right when we see the coach throw the red flag out, we're like, oh, this idiot. He, this is this is never going to get overturned. Like you need to now be even more locked in with your challenge plays because of the repercussions it has with losing a challenge late in the game now that you can factor this in. Because late in the game, if you're in a tie game, and I, I remember hearing Tom Coughlin say once, I think it's like 88% or 85% or somewhere 85 to 90% of NFL games are one-score games heading into the fourth quarter. This is not college football. There aren't as many blowouts as you think. Most games are relatively close heading into the last 15 minutes of the game. So having your challenge late in the game, now that you have the ability to overturn pass interferences, and again, that's still going to be subjective, but that's going to be a powerful thing. So whatever your setup is, your coach up in the box that tells you to challenge or not challenge the play, I'd argue needs to be more locked in than ever because you have this new wrinkle, and we see it all the time, you know, of just P.I. calls where we go, oh my God, that was P.I., now, I'd have to do a little more research. If they don't throw the flag, can you challenge a play? Because we see this more often than not. A PI is not called where it is PI. Can you challenge that? Because if you can, then that's a pretty big deal. I mean, imagine a tight game, five minutes left, tight game. You're at the 50-yard line. You hit a deep go route, and the dude commits pass interference, and they don't call it. Well, if you can challenge that, and then they give you the ball at the 10-yard line, and now there's four minutes and 20 seconds left, and you're in the driver's seat to win the game. I I think this is going to have positive implications. I I don't think there's anything negative about it. Now, is there going to be a trial and error error period early on? For sure. But it's like that with all rules. So, as Colin was saying, they they overreacted to one thing. But I think they had to over... You had to have... This has been something that Belichick has been a proponent of for 10 years, and he's the smartest guy in the league, or maybe even longer than that, forever, ever since replay came in. If you're going to have replay, you might as well be able to replay everything. Why are we picking and choosing these arbitrary things? You know, you can uh, you can challenge a catch, but you can't challenge holding. You can challenge this, and now that you can challenge subjective things, and you could argue that even... Uh, you know, where you are, the placement of a ball, like on a, is it a first down, is it not a first down, is somewhat subjective, especially when you talk about goal line situations or short yard situations where you can't see the ball. We, we've all seen it happen, a, you know, a ton of times in the last five years. It's like, did he get the first down? Did he not get the first down? Some are obvious, but I'd say for everyone that's obvious, there's, mul- there's two that are like, eh, I don't know, that could go either way. It's tough. So I, I, I understand that the job of these referees is difficult as someone that gets on the referees and thinks that they often do a piss-poor job. I get that it's hard. It is not an easy thing to do. It would be a job I wouldn't wish upon myself. I wouldn't want to do it. With the pressure that's on you, how hard it is, how fast the game is, but that's what replay's for. So in the, in the biggest situations, you can overturn something. You can go to replay. I, I think that basketball does a good job of this and you see it a lot in the tournament you see it in the NBA when there's a tip ball and a ball out of bounds and it's clear that it went out the wrong guy and they're giving it to the wrong team the player will put his finger up and start kind of twirling his finger like in a circular motion like go to the replay I I think we should do that more often in football because the goal of this I get is to entertain and that's why I have a job and 
why you you guys are like it enough to listen about football. You're all this is all entertainment. I get it. But with the amount of money's on the line, the amount of jobs that are on the line, now the amount of money that's being gambled, I, the number one goal has to be to entertain while getting it right. That is the biggest thing, while getting it right. That 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 should be the goal. And I'll tip my hat and give the NFL whoever deserves credit. I know Coach Reed and Belichick led the brigade. Sean Payton and Mike Tomlin played a big role in it. The owners had to vote it in. So they all deserve some credit on this. But I, I, it was a pretty no-brainer decision, in my opinion. I think we see this all the time, really, probably much more in business. But you see it in sports, too, for sure. When a premium asset, something happens. I think you definitely saw this 10 years ago when the real estate market crashed. There was a lot of things on sale for relatively cheap prices, even in nice areas. You know, I, I was amazed when the condo that I bought, the person clearly was up against it in like 07, 08. For what I ended up paying for in 2016, what it sold for in 2008 was like, I don't know, less than half of what I paid for it. So it went up in, in six years, or it might have been 09, you know, a lot of money. And you see it sometimes with players, for whatever reason, given their situation, they can be bought cheap. I mean, historically, it's happened with some Hall of Fame level guys. Just Randy Moss, you know, is is in Oakland. It's going really poorly. You get him for nothing. I think they ended up getting him for a fourth round pick. At one point in time, it was going to be like a sixth. But I think uh, Al Davis stepped in and made them give a fourth. But right now, Josh Rosen... The last couple days, Coward said it, Josh, uh, Joel Klatt said it. He's going to get traded. It's sure, everyone I follow on Twitter, is, I'm starting to feel more confident about this. Kyler Murray is going to be the Arizona Cardinals quarterback, and Josh Rosen is going to get traded. Josh Rosen was just taken 10th in the draft, in a draft that was pretty stacked with quarterbacks. And I think you could argue, coming out, he's probably he was a better player than Josh Allen. Now Josh Allen's upside as an athlete, higher, bigger arm, but he's not accurate. So I, to me, like I, I had him behind, I, Sam was my number one guy, then Baker, then Josh, uh, Josh Rosen. And then to me, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson were in their own little category. But one thing's pretty clear is that Josh Rosen is going to be bought more than likely for a second round pick, a second round pick. That's insane value. Like I, I think at this point, Josh Rosen is being really undervalued. You can get Josh Rosen for a second round pick, a guy that we knew was a can't miss NFL prospect by his freshman year in college, a guy that went 10th in the draft last year, and someone get a second round pick for him. If I was, Klatt said the Giants, the Chargers, and the Patriots. Now, in a perfect world, if I was New England, I would not want to give the 32nd pick for Josh Rosen. But, I don't think the value is that nuts on buying previous year's 10th overall pick. His main bonus has been paid. He's relatively cheap and just getting a really talented backup. Because right now when you look at the Patriots, obviously if Tom Brady plays, they're in good shape and they're probably going to win the Super Bowl, right? I think we can all acknowledge that. But Tom Brady's one injury away from Brian Hoyer having to play. I got news for you. Brian Hoyer stinks. Josh Rosen is a much more talented player than Brian Hoyer. So if at the end of the day, when you have multiple seconds and three threes, if you had to trade your 32nd overall pick for Josh Rosen, that's probably more valuable than any player you're going to get. 
Now, there is a value when you factor in that guy's not going to play and I could get you know, a starting receiver or starting tight end. I get it. It's complicated. But the problem for the Patriots is if the Giants want him and they offer pick, I think it's 38, the Patriots, two picks in the second round, one's the Bears for last year a trade-up and one's their own, is at the end of the round. And the Chargers have their second round pick is better than either one of those Patriot picks. I guess the Patriots, the Bears pick they own is better than the Chargers pick. But the Patriots can trump them all because clearly the, the Giants aren't going to give them pick six for Josh Rosen. Chargers aren't going to give up the first rounder for Josh Rosen when Phillip Rivers is you know, still playing at a high level and still has multiple years left. That, that wouldn't make much sense. But a second rounder is too good to be true. I, I think that these three teams shouldn't be alone. Because the value of Josh Rosen isn't just acquiring him and getting a guy that was the 10th pick in the draft last year and is still really talented. But what if you, even if you have a starting quarterback, what if you're Seattle and he plays in the preseason games and he looks awesome? Then you have a little leverage when you're negotiating with Russell Wilson slash you could flip him in a year maybe for a first round pick if you're like, God, this guy looks really good now that he's got some competent coaching. Like having a really talented quarterback on your roster isn't, the value isn't just to one day take over for your starter, because what if your starter just keeps on playing and keeps on balling? It doesn't feel like Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, any of these quarterbacks are going anywhere. But what's the value in having a backup that's viewed as a really good player? I'll tell you what the value is. It's usually a first-round pick. We've seen it before. If Belichick wouldn't have waited till the last year of Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, he would have got a first-round pick for Jimmy. If anything, we, I think we all said, like, why did Belichick give him away? You can trade quarterbacks. They hold their value. They're like a, like a Honda Accord. Now, they're, they're, that's a bad example because they're much nicer than a Honda Accord. I just th- tried to think of something that holds their value for a long time. They're like, I, I don't know, certain cars hold their value much better than others. I'm not a huge car guy. But you know what I'm saying. Like, it, he'd have to be terrible to lose value. If he's just good, his value maintains. And if he's really good, and I'm just talking in preseason games, because more than likely he wouldn't be playing in regular season games if you have Brady or Phillip. You can flip that guy. And you can flip him for a high-valued pick. Like, to me, that's worth something. And I think, I don't remember in recent memory a more undervalued asset in the NFL than Josh Rosen, given what you have to pay for him. Because you don't need to give a top 15 pick to get him. You just probably give a second. And if worst case, I'd give two twos for Josh Rosen. Because more than likely, if I, especially if I'm the Patriots or the Chargers, where I'm going to make him look good, I'll flip him in a year for a one. Happens all the time. Happens all the time in the NFL. Or worst case, I just get my value back. I just wait a couple years and it holds its value. Look at Alex Smith. When the Niners got rid of him, traded him for multiple second round picks. It was Alex Smith. Josh Rosen's more talented. I'm not saying he's going to be one day as good as Alex Smith. But there is most undervalued player in the league right now is Josh Rosen. Do you love Selena? Like really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, it's that time of the week again. Middle cough mailbag. I need to get a little music for it or something. Hi, John. I read an interesting article about how the Eagles use their salary cap. I was interested in your thoughts on that article. Pros and cons of doing what they do while other teams are not doing that. And I, I, I can't really, I can't even click on the article. Are using fake contracts years to create space. I My overall take on just NFL contracts is they're all fake. I mean, literally, I saw someone say, okay, let's just see if I can read the headline right now. It's a picture of Roseman. When the Eagles announced the Malik Jackson and Brandon Graham and Deshaun Jackson contracts, they were deferred to three-year deals. When the Ronald Darby contract was announced, it was announced as a one-year deal. And then you take a look at, they're, they're actually five-year contracts until they aren't. Confused yet? Here to help. In the often baffling world, I'm just reading you this article, of NFL contracts, Eagles Vice President Howie, former boss, uh, used a tool to spread out cap hits into a contract over years that are guaranteed are guaranteed to never exist. It's kind of cheating. But according to the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement between the NFLPA and the union, ownership is completely legal. One, the player's base salary. The prorate, when you get a signing a bonus, then they prorate it. I think most of us know that. Also, likely to be earned incentives. The longer the contract, the more years the signing bonus is spread out, so the less it hits your cap. I think a lot of teams are doing that. Because when you do a signing bonus, that is the amount of... So if you get a $15 million signing bonus, guaranteed money, I have to give you that money on the time I sign it. I think it's within two weeks. That's why all these contracts, they're all fake. Like the Aaron Donald... But you have to be so good to get a true contract, like Aaron Donald or Khalil Mack or even Odell Beckham, all the quarterbacks. It's either quarterbacks or like top 10 non-players. Everyone else, fake money. 
And the thing I will always say, and, and I wouldn't say Howie is that different than a lot. Like a lot of teams, or I, I see the Niners do it, the Raiders are doing it. A lot of teams do it. They're, they would rather pay you more up front, so your signing bonus, and give you all these fake years just so it basically turns into a one- or two-year t- contract. Like I saw Jared Cook can earn up to $19 million with the Saints. You know what Jared Cook's contract is? One year, $8 million. And they can spread that $8 million over a two-year period. So the cap hits probably around $4 bucks. That's the way all these contracts are doing. I don't think Howie's an outlier. I think Howie is just, they're doing a better job of identifying the right players. He's always been dynamic with the money, but I think everyone now can see the way to structure these contracts. I think most of these teams aren't dumb with contracts anymore. They're all doing them the same. And beside the quarterbacks, unless you're an Aaron Donald or a Khalil Mack or even Odell last year, you don't have the juice to bend the team over and take them to the cleaners with guaranteed money. So I, I think the big thing in this next collective bargaining agreement, as a fan, you always want less guaranteed money because you never want NBA and Major League Baseball situations. Because in football, you just get injured too much. So if all the contracts were guaranteed, you would have disastrous salary caps. Even the smartest guys like Howie and Belichick would have tons of dead money on the, not on the dead money, but on the cap. Because guys get hurt. It's just a reality of the business, right? But luckily, with the way it's set up, you can spread it out and prorate it over the length of a contract. So yeah, if I can give you a five-year, $50 million contract, teams love doing that. But I only give you $15 million guaranteed? Well, what do I get to do with the $15 million? I get to prorate that bonus over the five years. I also think these players need to be a little smarter. Like you guys are signing fake contracts, and then you're bitching and moaning. Like, you know what you're doing at this point. If you don't, you're an idiot because the information's all out there. It's pretty clear what's going on. So I, I blame the players. The agents don't care. They just want to get guaranteed money, money for them. Uh, I think that it's a team-run league. It's an organizational-run league. It's a general manager and coach league. It's, it's not a player league. This is not the NBA. And Major League Baseball is kind of in the middle, but the players run the league because they get guaranteed contracts. So they now there's no salary cap. So you can buy people out and stuff. But the union controls so much. In in football, every player except the quarterbacks and maybe like 15 players in the league are replaceable. It's just a reality. It sounds harsh, but it's just the truth. Why is it that fans get so mad at pass interference missed calls? You rarely see people getting pissed about holds that are missed, but can have just as big of an impact on plays. Is it because dumb fans see pass interference because of the camera angles, but rarely any given camera angles that cover offensive linemen? Also, what should I do? But since everyone else says that, okay, this is pretty good. Also, would also like to tell you I love the show, which I do. But since everyone else says that, I'll say go fuck yourself. Have a nice day. I, I like this guy. Keeping it, keeping it loose on here. Here's the thing about pass interference calls more than holding. I, I, I do think you're on to something with the camera angle. I mean, it's proven in life. When we see something, then when we hear about it, you know, our reaction's different. And we see all the action with wide receivers and corners. I also think even on a big holding call or where the offensive line or the defensive lineman hands the face or whatever that goes uncalled, it's not that big of a penalty. When you see a missed PI call, and let's say it's a 35-yard pass, that's a 
large amount of real estate. You know, the field's only 100 yards. If you're at the 50 and it's a missed PI call and it was a 30-yard pass, you're now in the red zone. So I, I think the implications of that play, I also think we're just a little more a more emotionally connected to our wide receivers as fans. Like, your, your wide receivers typically are some of the most famous guys in your team. Now, offensive linemen, they may be better players or whatever, but, you know, they're kind of like out of sight, out of mind. You need them, and when you hear about them, it's usually not good. I, I think the camera angle has something to do with it, I, but I also think just th- they're the guy with the ball. So any, anything that includes the ball, I do think that non-missed holding calls that are blatant, I, you know, I, I think people bitch and moan about it, but I I also think you could call holding on basically every play or a large majority of the plays. That can't really be said for pass interference. I mean, I talked about it earlier with the change of the rule. There are blatant PI calls that when they're missed, that they have huge ramifications, especially in the second half of a game, of a tie game, that just have, you know, dictate the outcome of the game. Now, same thing for holding, but again, we're not locked in. It's hard to see. It's hard to tell. I think we're all kind of conditioned that, again, players are held every play. I, I, it's just, that's like a cliche thing that's said from coaches and players and fans. Oh, there's holding every play. You call it every play. We never say, oh, there's there's PI every play. No, because there's not. There is, this is my beef with defensive holding with DBs and linebackers. To me, that they are at such a disadvantage. We call a wide receiver going over the middle a defenseless player. That's that's like calling me an innocent driver if I get into a wreck as I'm speeding. The dude's running over the middle of the field. He's not a defenseless player. He may not be looking when the defender's coming, but he knows all the guys are there. He he was at one point in time before the ball was snapped looking at the defense. Like, that happened. So, when defensive backs, safeties, and linebackers use their hand to quote-unquote hold a little bit, I, I can live with that. I, I think that is one of the worst calls in the NFL that defensive holding is an automatic first down. That that That's a pet peeve of mine. That that really bothers me. To me, it should be a five-yard penalty. And if it's third and five or first, second and five, automatic first down. But if it's third and nine and, and you get a defensive holding, it should not be an automatic first down. That that's, God, that just bothers me thinking about it. John loved the pod. Now that Gronk is retired, many expect the Pats to take a tight end in the first or second round. Do you think they will? Or if they don't, do you think they may be a signal that the Pats are once again changing their offense? Perhaps a more running game like they did in the playoffs with the rest of the league is still moving toward attack, uh, toward the pr- uh, preference for the passing game. Yeah, I, I think everyone will tell you the Patriots have no offense and no defense. They do whatever you don't do well. So if you don't defend the running back out of the backfield, they'll throw it to him 50 times a game. If you can't defend the tight end, they'll throw it to him all the time. If you're in a nickel defense and you can't stop the run, they'll run it till your eyes bleed. That's the great, that's the most powerful attribute of the Belichick reign. And even Tom, is they don't really, Tom has no problem with handing the ball off 35 times a game and throwing for 200. Now, they, he, does, he doesn't do that often because they can throw it so easily on teams. But I... I think they're open to anything. And I think they'll approach this draft. They will pick the best players who are on the board. They, they don't usually force needs. Like everyone's like, oh, they're going to take a tight end or a wide receiver at pick 32. Maybe. 
But if Greedy Williams, I'm just using, just picks a random player, fell to 32, like, yeah, they might just pick him. Now, yeah, they might pick Nikhil Harry, for sure. But they also might not. They might take, you know, a, a guard, a linebacker, who they just think's the best player on the board. And then they just stack a mu- bunch of good players, and then they coach guys up. And I think when it comes to tight ends, Belichick has consistently invested in guys. I do think with Gronk retiring and then missing on Jared Cook, they're a little behind the eight ball right now. Because you just look at their weapons, you go, who is their weapons? They got Jules. They got Sony Michelle, who's, I think, a really good player. Still got Dion, not Dion Lewis, uh, James White. Their offensive line's coming back. So you go, they need an outside receiver, and they're going to need a tight end, may- maybe two. Yeah, I'd expect them to draft tight end, but I don't think it's a lock that they just take a guy first or second overall. That they could technically take him at any spot, and that's that's what makes Belichick, I think, just so dangerous that at any moment, kind of anything can happen with them. Uh, he's the ultimate wheeler and dealer when it comes to this because no one ever truly knows what he's going to do. Uh, that's a quick Middlecoff mailbag. Just a quick little Friday podcast. Get you guys ready for the tournament. I- enjoy it. As I recorded this, Tiger loss, so who knows if he'll even be playing this weekend. Uh, Hope wherever you live, you have a good weekend. Hang out with your family, drink some beers, watch some TV, do whatever you do. And I will see you next week. Adios. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.